1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
0: Welcome to another showrunner spotlight edition of TV's top five, the Hollywood Reporters TV podcast. I'm Leslie Goldberg, the West Coast TV editor, and I'm joined as usual by Dan Feinberg, THR's chief TV critic. Hi, Dan.
2: Hi, Leslie. This is a bonus episode of our weekly podcast, and it is tied to the series, everyone sniffle and feel sad because we certainly are, finale of one of our favorite shows, Better Things. Of course, do not listen until you have watched the finale of Better Things because, yeah, we talk a lot about the end of the show. So when you're still crying after watching the episode, this should be a thing that will make you laugh and make you cry.
0: Series creator, star, writer, director, and exec producer, Pamela Adlon makes a return appearance to the podcast. Adlon was our very last in-person podcast guest back in early 2020 when her FX comedy, Better Things, was launching its fourth season. We are so happy to have Adlon, an Emmy winner for King of the Hill, back to discuss the series finale of Better Things, which naturally she wrote and directed.
2: Showrunner Spotlight.
0: Welcome back to the podcast, Pamela. Thanks so much. I know uh, it's been a long time. You know, you are our very, very last in-person interview before, well, the world turned to shit. Um, And now we're doing this virtually. So thank you so much for joining us again.
1: I'm so happy to be here with you too. This is, it's filling me up in the best way.
2: God, that that last time when we had you in the office, none of us knew if we were allowed to hug. I feel like there might have been a fist bump or an elbow bump or
0: something. Yeah. It's so
1: (sighs) crazy. And and now you look like Tevya, Daniel. I mean, it's like he was all he was just a clean-cut, nice Jewish boy. And now he's got like a Cat Stevens vibe happening. What can I say? In my
2: it it happens to all Jewish young men that we start off as as model or perchik and then eventually Tevya happens to us all. <laughs> Unavoidable <laughs> We're glad to be at least in virtual space with you. It's not the same as being in an office, but we'll make do. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: This is awesome. I'm I'm in I'm in New York City. I'm overlooking Madison Square Park and uh uh, I, I feel like I'm, I'm right there holding you guys' hands. Ah, uh, I love that.
0: Um, well, obviously, you know, if you're tuning into this episode, the, the series finale of The Great Better Things on FX has just come to an end. Pamela, you know, you and FX made the decision to end the show while the fifth season was in production. Can you talk us through when you knew this was where you wanted the show to end? So
1: I knew that this was going to be the last season before... I started writing it and that, you know, that made it um, easier in a way and also uh, more challenging. I, I guess this season was was the most challenging and, it, it, you know, you could in hindsight look back and say, oh, cool, season five, put it in cruise control, let's go have – you know, cook a chicken, take a run through the park, and then it'll be done. But it's not that way. You have to pay attention to everything. And, and you know, certainly COVID made things just like, you know, it doesn't matter if you're intermittent fasting or not. You're eating a shit sandwich every day, and you just need to make sure that everybody is taken care of, um, that, you know, everybody's safe and feeling good about the work because people are raw, you know, people are raw after the, the time that we've just come off of that we're still very much in whether we choose to acknowledge it or not. And, um, you know, I, I know some people would say to me, um, Was it emotional being on, on the set for the last part of the series, like shooting the end of it? And there was not a point that I was like breaking down and saying, Oh, this is the last thing. This is the last thing I was. I had to shoot all of the, the LA I'm, I'm doing air quotes with my fingers for all you folks at home, which means everybody. Um, we sh- we started shooting in L.A. in July, and we finished in the U.K. in November. We had to get everything done and then put all the pieces in that involved Phil, Celia Emory. We picked up and we went to-, to London to shoot those. And I was just eye on the prize. I just wanted to get to London. I was like, I was Schwarzenegger in Total Recall. I was like, get your ass to Mars. Get you Austin to malls. Uh, g- <laughs> like the air, the rotor like trying to keep every yeah and get those those fans going because um, I wanted to get to Celia. I wanted everybody to be safe. I wanted to keep everybody safe. I wanted to get it in the can, as we would say in the day and get home and make this show. So, I mean, there was one point that we were on the set, the, the beautiful house that um, we built for, from season three through five. And I looked around and I was like, wow, this is it. This is it for this set, which was based off of a real house that uh, lives in Altadena, And that real house in Altadena was based off of another real house that lives in Los Feliz that we, we shot one house in Los Feliz for the pilot, which when the show was picked up, we found out we couldn't shoot there because the street was too narrow. And so we tried to find a house that looked like that house. So fun fact, if you watch the first episode of season one of better things, that is an entirely different house to the second episode. And there was also a totally different Frankie. And we had to replace the Frankie of the pilot as well as the house. It's a whole thing. It was crazy. Um, but uh, th- there I just went off the rails and I probably hit a bunch of questions you had in, in, <laughs> in the hopper. And I ruined the flow. No, you're you're great.
2: No, we're you know, we're, pre- we're pretty much it. out of questions at this point. That was yeah, that was it. everything you know, we for had. Thank you joining so. us. What are you
1: watching? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I try to just consolidate little bite-sized uh, TV's top five.
2: I want to I want to get the the timetable a little bit sort of clearer because you thank say you knew, yeah, you say you knew going into the final season already that it was going to be the last season. The announcement from FX came a little bit later did everyone in the cast and crew had you told them already and it was just a sort of an internal team secret that it was coming to an end
1: yeah i i you know i tend to keep things close to the vest anyway because i don't like people to be motivated by anything other than the work that we're doing at the time um you know whether it's like a positive or a negative thing i just think that Everything has the same value, and if you keep moving forward in your work, uh, and that means like how you treat everybody from the top dog to the quote bottom dog, um, you're just going to have the best possible experience. I knew it was going to be the the end. Uh, five seasons is is a perfect number. I didn't need to go beyond that. If I had known how challenging season five would be, <laughs> if I look back and I was given a choice, I would be like, "I'm good. Night swimming, Phil. The girls at the beach, paying off Xander. That's a great send off. Let's just, you know, call it a night." But um, I'm so happy that we did this season. I, I I I love it so much, and I and I'm getting um, beautiful feedback from people. Um, I, I, I remember the phone call where I was talking about it and I started getting a, a, a stomach ache. Oh God, it's going to be the last season. All, all the feelings that come with that. And then by the end of the phone call, I was very excited because anything that like my dad used to say, like Murray Fox says, shakes the cocktail. it it's a recharge. It's a reset. And I was able to really kind of change the alchemy of all of the work, all of the characters, all of the lives, all of the situations. So it was, um, it was a challenge, but it made it, it's just like, it was like a peanut butter cup. It's like when you, you know, the day the guy said they ran into each other, he had the peanut butter, he had the chocolate, And you're like, why did I eat either separately? You know, so you get certain opportunities in your life to create something new out of something that already existed. And uh, I I feel like that's what we did with this season.
0: So you said that, you know, you knew five was a good number. But I'm curious, was the conversation with John Landgraf at FX of saying – this is it for me, or what did he want the show to continue on beyond five? And why was that the, the number that that you felt like was a good time? Because, you know, we could have obviously stayed with these characters for a lot longer.
1: Well, I think, you know, I, I believe that uh, the network would like to, you know, move on and have other content. And um, I think that five was a good number for FX and uh, you know, I mean, they, they gave me five. And so uh, if I, if I look back and I say, well, would I want to fight to do more? I feel like they would have possibly given me that opportunity, but um, it just, it feels good to uh, finish a show feeling good and not kind of slumping towards the finish line. So in in that respect, it was a very uh, mutual decision.
2: Now, after the announcement had been made, I mean, it sounds as if the answer to this one was no, because you were sort of in the middle of this kind of global storm and trying to get this all done, but did you at any point have an, oh god, well that would have been a great idea for season six, or god, I really wish I could tell this story with these characters, I don't I don't want to end or were you just trying to get to the end?
1: Did, was there a point? Did I have? That's me every day right now. I'm like L- let's go into my notes folder it's incredible, it's like I, um I, I'm so sorry that thing. I don't know how to turn messages off on my computer. <laughs> and I keep going. Quit messages. If it dings, I apologize. I don't I don't know how to make I think it you stop. can mute it,
2: right? Yeah, this is the kind of thing that Matt would know. Otherwise, Matt's yeah. just gonna have to go through and remove every ding and
1: Okay, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Matt. Um, wait, what were we? Oh yeah. I'm I'm right now. I have a million ideas. There were like four things in particular that happened yesterday that were better things gold every every single day. And so for me, it just it goes in my coffer for things that I'm writing now that aren't better things for things that I'm going to be directing that aren't better things. This is all part of, uh, you know, the way I see the world my, my bronze, as they would say. And I, I guess a part of me is, is just, it's just open. It's just a receptacle for, for that. And when people see me, um, I don't know if they think I'm a, I'm a priest or a rabbi or something, but you know, they just feel open to me and, uh, just know that, uh, I, I will use your story or <laughs> your horrible thing that you're doing at me or at the person who's in the pharmacy right now. That's going into something somewhere. I will be homaging you. I will be exalting you or I will be teaching you a lesson. <laughs> at a certain point.
2: So you're saying that while there might be attorney client privilege, there's no such thing as random stranger Pamela privilege. <laughs>
1: no. And and you know what's funny is is so many people are like, "Oh my god, what am I going to be in your show? Am I going to be like <laughs> the the bad lady who 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 passed you a bad check or something like that when they find out like what I do?" I don't know. I think um I read that Nora Ephron at a certain point would be like if she went to like a dinner party, you guys probably know this better than I do, that people would be like, "Uh oh, <laughs> nobody say your thing around Nora right now.
0: So I, I did want to talk about one specific thing that was in in the press release, and then we'll kind of move on to a little bit about uh, the actual episode, but. You know, the release announcing that this was indeed the final season said there was a quote from you in which you said that that was a wrap on Sam Fox for now. Have you already begun to imagine when and under which circumstances you would want to return to better things?
1: Well, I just think it's so interesting because, you know, one of one of the things I wanted to keep the story going as if the stories will keep going. So I don't even consider it being the 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 end for better things, which is kind of the way I live my life. You know, people are like, aren't you sad? Aren't you in mourning? Like I, I've felt like people really want me to be sad and like have this moment like that. The truth is this has been seven years of my life. You know, when I started this show, My life looked very different when I started this show. All of my kids lived at home. Um, There's just been many scorched earth moments, as you guys know, throughout the years. Um, I've lost many people. Um, I've had to make adjustments in terms of, um, you know, pivots and major life changes. Uh, Two of my daughters moved out. Um, you know, one of my daughters started college, then she's not in college. All There's been many graduations, as I would say, and uh, big life movements. I lost, uh, you know, my mother lost her brother um, and his wife, and they that's who White Rock was based on. And, you know, just kind of just these huge moments and that's what comes with life. And so I, I, I wanted to put kind of lay eggs for the future in this show. Like, I know it's funny. Cause I always put like a lot of like Easter eggs in the show, but um, you know, Sam creeping on this blue house throughout the season. And then you see the payoff in the end with this wonderful cameo by John Ortiz and, you're like, oh, that's so cute. Like, you know, um, you know, are they going to uh, are they going to become special friends uh, or whatever? Like everybody needed Sam to. Um, I don't know. I guess it was after season two uh, when I did press. It was a lot of people would be like, you know, is Sam going to get back together with Mel Trueblood or or Robin, and I realized people really wanted this person, this character to have uh, a significant other, and what is it about uh, a single woman that makes people feel so um, af- like afraid, or it's like a little uh, landmine <laughs> Matt Matt, get the beep Matt Get the fucking beep, oh, beep.
0: Matt, leave Matt, us in leave us, Matt, a, we, leave us
1: all in Matt,
2: do we want to pause this Matt. for two seconds Just to find out if there's any way we could figure out What anyway. the
1: fuck Okay, please Don't text Yet they, Things are In the show Oh, I didn't even write it in the thing. Stop <laughs>
0: no. texting. I will fall. <laughs> you should, this, this literally feels like a scene from the show, so I will leave it in. <laughs> okay, I just cannot. With the bing.
1: I don't know what the fuck I was saying, man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you were talking about, you know, how when you were doing interviews after season two, people were asking you about, you know, the, yeah, the, the character's me love me life. Everyone sad. wants you, you know, and like, what is it about having a character just be a proud single woman?
1: Yeah. So this is what struck me when I was promoting season three. And I was like, oh, this is the thing. This is the Auntie Brenda. Where are we going to stick her at the table at the wedding thing? Are we going to invite Auntie Brenda to the Thanksgiving? Like, ugh, oh, you know, what are we going to do? And it's, it's that single lady in your family. And, you know, she's either like really cool and she comes in and she's just like, passing out joints to the teenagers behind the scene or, or, or she's a mess or, or she's just very sad. And you're just like, Oh, go talk to your cousin Brenda. You know what I mean? So I realized um, I didn't want that for Sam and this season I wanted There were themes like I wanted there to be themes. Like everybody's keeping a secret from Sam. Secrets from Sam throughout. And also that everybody gets booed up except Sam. Literally everybody, including Phil. And Sam is really good with it. And that realization in the car, it's so fun talking to you guys because you guys saw it. You know, and she's just sitting there, you know, uh, there's so many things about it. She's she, the you know, they had the wedding and she goes out and you see her exchange with the neighbor who actually is my dear friend, Sitara, and is not an actor. And I brought her into the studio to do that dialogue with me. And you see Sam connecting with the neighbor of another faith, another culture. Um, You know, who are you? We live here. We all share a border everywhere we are. Then she, you know, typical Sam thing. She looks back at her village. Her kid goes in to take a shit after this very poignant moment. And she walks to her whip, her El Camino. She does get booed up because it is her and her El Camino, the super sport driving off into the night. But the phone call that she makes is to her mom. That makes me cry. (laughs)
2: You did right there just touch on at least 10 of the questions we were going to ask, and we'll, we're going to get to some of them, but you haven't gotten to the very end. And I'm curious if you brought the show back, is the unidentified flying object at the very end of the finale, is that going to be canon? And how did you decide that you wanted the show to end on that final dose of of wonderment, magic, unexplained, whatever's happening?
1: I'm wiping my tears with my sock because I'm in a hotel room and I don't know where the tissues are. This is a pair of clean socks that were in my, my, uh, press shoes. So, okay. Um, is it an unidentified flying object, Dan? I don't know. That's up to you to decide. I know what it is for me, but I wanted that final shot to be you know it's it's everything came full circle i wanted to start with the galaxy song that that was my that was basically my acknowledging of what just fucking happened with covid and the shutdown and what what a night what a horrible state everybody's in people are not in stasis because of COVID COVID was the great reset opportunity that we basically did not take advantage of like, let's be better. You know, we were, we were basically flying so fast, so close to the sun that we, something had to give something gave. We, we went off the rails And it was like, okay, everybody stop. It's like Joe Gideon snapping the pencil when everything is silent. And he's in the the basement. He's in the basement and they're at the play reading and all that jazz. And he can't hear. He can't hear because he's just, he's, he's out somewhere else. He's listening to the quiet. The pencil snaps and all the noise starts again. And now we're there and You know, what's happening? Everything just is going backwards. Everything's being repealed. Natural protections are being repealed. There's so much waste. There's so much avarice. And it was my giving everybody Eric Idle saying, whenever life gets you down, Mrs. Brown, and things seem hard or tough. And he sings this song, which is basically from the... The meaning of life. It's from the meaning of life, right? It is. And what is it from the meaning of wait, life? or is it, or There's is it life? Right- of,
2: wait, no, it's life of Brian. Life of Brian. I'm
1: sorry, because
2: because it's the people on the crosses singing it.
1: <laughs> That's right. And so when he's also like in mm-hmm. when they originally do it, they're trying to harvest organs. You know what I mean? <laughs> they're trying to make people not afraid to give their organs. You're looking at the universe. We are so small. And I'll say it again because of the fucking beep. Matt, <laughs> everybody do a shot of golden turmeric milk right now
0: <laughs> when you hear the beep. Or, or a um, shot of vodka, depending on what time of day you're listening to Yes, this. exactly. I have
1: some right here. Um, but... You know, we're so small in the scheme of things. And so people were like, are you going to address COVID? Uh, And I I started to think, well, COVID's not going to be gone by the time the show's on. I knew it. I knew it. I was like, well, maybe we'll do it in flashbacks. And then I thought, no, you know what? We all lived through 9-11. We all lived through the Northridge earthquake um we had to move on from from those things and we didn't need to talk about it all the time but the way you talk about it is you put it in your stories and you put it in your characters so i i got to start with eric idle saying Whenever life gets you down, Mrs. Brown, and things seem hard or tough, and people are stupid, obnoxious, or daft, and you think that you've had quite enough. Just remember that you're standing on a planet that's evolving, revolving at 900 miles an hour. And it's like the greatest because you're back. And then the end of the episode, fucking Beanie Boy dies. He fucking dies. I knew that I wanted that. I knew that I wanted to be a shock. You know, it's the things that you take for granted that you just, you know, you, you tap him every time. Wait, he's not there anymore. What am I going to do? What's the next thing? And just be able to, um, to bring it back to your question. All of those things that happen during the, uh, during the season with the secrets from Sam and, And um, Max going through this process. And then in the end, Sam driving off, you know, we just had this thing in LA that they said, we're going to see the Northern lights in LA. And I totally fucking bought into it. And I was like, we're going to wake up at midnight. And Erica who works in my office, she's got a toddler and a baby. She's like, Oh my God, we're going to totally, I'm waking the babies. And then people were like, Oh my God, check your shit. It's you know, that's focused. not real. Yeah. I so, was planning
0: on getting up too because I bought into it as well. Wait, seriously? Yes. My whole family did. We're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is so cool. This is so great. I mean, my wife is very much into uh, astronomy. And we were just like super pumped about it. And then we're like, wait a second. Oh crap. And we yeah. literally all got 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 roped into it.
1: Everybody like snoped it. It was April first yep. or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it reminded me when I was a, a little kid, my my parents woke us up and we drove to the desert to see Halley's Comet, you know, and you, you do those things when when those big moments are happening. And so that last shot was a really particular thing. And I wanted to sh- I wanted to show like the solar flares getting the Art Bell audio. I mean, in and of itself, I can't even begin to tell you what that was like. But, you know, listening to Art Bell in my 20s was huge for me, trying to to get the Art Bell, and then we found, like, his producer, and uh, we had to make, like, a, a, a deal with that guy. You know, I was like, this is an iconic, beautiful cue for the show, and this is how it shakes out, and then um, seeing – the solar flares. And then that last shot, we were, we were out at, at uh, the lake that converges to the freeway and having the sky be perfect and the drones. And then what I did was we brought in a little, the phosphorus, like the Northern lights vibe at the end, but I wanted it to be a little bit rainbow. And then that, what you say is UFO, you know, I wanted the tail stream to be rainbow because this is the rainbow season, which means gay, (laughs) gay all over the place. Like we just wanted it to be like all the things that we love. Um, So that's what it is. And Sam's driving around in her El Camino uh, with the alien head patch on one end. And we are not alone on the, that other end of the bumper. And so everybody's booed up at the end, except Sam. She calls her mom. Her mom even blows her off. She drives off into the uh, solar flare, uh, you know, sundown in her El Camino. There's something in the sky. She's got We Are Not Alone on her bumper. It's a metaphor for Sam because she loves where she is. She loves her friends, her village, her family. Sam is not alone, even though she's alone. It doesn't matter. She's good. We're all good. If you you find your people, if you find your community. In episode 507, when Sam's with Jay, the young boy, and she says, I want to go to your gay party. And he says, I wish. It's my sister Hong's sweet 16 and um, Jason can't, he doesn't exist in that world. And Sam realizes this kid, this beautiful young Vietnamese person is not allowed to be himself in front of his family. And he says to her, which is one of my favorite things that we have in the show. Look, the truth of the matter is I'm not in the closet. My parents are in the closet. They're in the closet for being the parents of a young heterosexual boy. And, well, no. And its I hope that people see this. And I hope that the people who are stuck in their ways see it. And I hope that the kids see it and they know that they just have to get above it because other people just won't. And it's ridiculous that we're still talking about um. Shame in gayness and shame in abortion. Um, I was able to address that in the finale with um, this beautiful Mizuko, um, which came to me because um, this woman, Kira Dane, had made this short film called Mizuko, and she wanted me to watch it and do uh, like a live with her just to give her some recognition. I already had the Max abortion storyline in the show this season. I watched Mizuko, it sat with me. And then I went to my writer's room two days later and I said, We're going to put this in the show. This is going to go in the movie. This is going to be one of the payoffs for Max at the end. And they have this tradition in Japanese culture where. You know, you're able to make a, a doll, a sculpture that signifies your unborn child, your stillborn child, if you had to have an abortion, um, any of that. And it takes the shame away for not only for the, the mother or the mother to be or the, the mother, the, the person who was not ready to have a child for the whole family. And it's a tribute. And so um, I feel that my show is really about removing shame from a lot of a lot of things that should be normalized and not shameful, particularly sitting on the toilet. OK, you guys take it away. <laughs> Went so far off the fucking rails. Your listeners are like, they're n- she's not letting Dan and Leslie talk. I'm just shutting up now. Bye.
0: No, our listeners hear from us enough. This is fabulous. I Don't shut up. Keep going. You are not doing anything <laughs> wrong and stop apologizing, please. Um, when did you land on the decision to close with the musical number and specifically with Always Look on the Bright Side of Life?
1: So um, I just felt these cues went hand in hand as a bookend for the season. You know, the Galaxy song, bringing us all back home to our tiny little, and here we are in the big world. Let's check in on the Fox household, this little microscopic part of it. When we end on Always Look on the Bright Side of Life, that was saying goodbye to the fans, goodbye to the people who watch this show goodbye to the people who have yet to discover this show because i know i know what my show is and i've always known that it's a marathon not a race and that people will catch up to it eventually it's still not there and it doesn't have the eyeballs of those giant behemoth shows that have so many eyeballs and then people talk about like hate watching the show that they're watching which is so like the opposite of what's going on with better things. I'd take hate watching uh, multitudes of eyeballs look over here. You know, it's it, it, there's something for everybody and I love watching everything. Everything. You know, because I'm the kid of a TV person. And uh that that's my obsession. I love television more than anything. So it it was just like a way for me to to give people hope. Always look on the bright side of life. I mean, you know, the the show has we high, we showcase entitlement this season, and that awesome scene with Lennon Parham when I go to see my doctor, and you know, I just had to showcase the fact that you know there there is always some kind of power bitch sitting in front of. Your doctor's office who has all the... You're going to see somebody about your most vulnerable thing, your body, your tits, your brain, your eyes, your heart, your your ass, your pussy, your feet, your armpits. It doesn't matter. Your skin. There's always some lady in the front who makes you feel like, I don't really think I have a pain in my head. I think I could go. I felt better before I got here. <laughs> I call her the conceptionist instead of the receptionist. And so basically that happened to me and the woman at the front made me cry, actually cry. And so I went back to my writer's room and I was like, let me talk about something in particular. And it was so fun to do that scene because, well, that's entitlement. You know, the, and Lennon Parham is a genius in that scene with the way she's fluttering her eyes and everything. And then at the end of that episode, Sam goes back to the Mattachine steps and she's sitting with this man who is crying. He's sad. And Sam doesn't know what to do because he's visibly crying. So she just does the only thing a human being could or should do. She stops and she sits next to him. And she has a conversation with him. And at the end, she just says, you know, some stuff. The same shit Frankie said to her at the beginning of the episode. Mom, did you know these steps were like a, the stone wall of L.A.? And it's like a monument. And Sam's like, I don't care. She doesn't care. She's out of breath, Whatever. And then she pulls it out of her ass, the same thing that her kid said at the beginning, and she starts telling the guy, you know, but people use this as exercise. They don't really want to know about the history. And he turns to Sam and he goes, I don't care. And Sam's like, yeah. And he just kind of, you know, quietly wipes away his tears. And then you hear, excuse me, can you move to the side? And the entitlement goes right past them, and they laugh, and they laugh about it. And Sam says, as the beautiful music cue comes up, she says they just laugh hysterically, and this inconsolable man is is laughing. And Sam says, see, sometimes life's funny even when it's sad. And that's the final moment. And it's like, ooh, shit is dark right now. And shit can keep getting dark, but find your community and find your people and find the people you can laugh with because you can still care and you can still, you know, plant your feet somewhere and try to make things better. But you got to be able to laugh still because otherwise we don't want to know what the world would be like. (laughs) Oh my God, my... my. My daughter's gunkle, Josh, who lives in New York, just I told him we're going to see American Buffalo on Thursday night. And that was his text saying, I'm so excited, Queen. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent.
2: Now, obviously, for for people keeping track at home, uh, that is indeed galaxy song, meaning of life. Uh, always look on the bright side of life. Life of Brian, just if anyone was was being confused by that. Um, now, one of the things I liked best about the musical number was all of the people coming back from earlier in the season, whether it's, uh, you know, obviously Marty Croft or Ron Cephas Jones or, uh, or Danny Trejo. And obviously you must have shot those when you were shooting them the first time around. What were you coaching people on for those little snippets? What did you tell people you wanted and who immediately knew the song? Who was clueless? I want to know how those little snippets were shot.
1: Oh, my God. It was so... Oh, God, it was so hard. It was like, okay, in the first place, I was told, you know, whoever you use has to be paid for two episodes because they're going to appear in the finale. And I was like, don't tell me that because I want everybody. Like, I just need everybody to be in it. Many, many times, But I would like, walk up to Lena Waith and I was like, okay, so uh you're good. We have awesome. We did awesome shit. This these scenes are gonna be so fire. Um now we're just gonna do the song. What song? Oh um the we're gonna be doing the Monty Put always look on the bright side. It's it's gonna be at the end of the movie. They didn't tell you we're doing the song Nobody told me. Like fucking dead face stare. And Lena and I are buddies. We're sisters, so so this is good. She will laugh when she hears. I was like, oh, you know. But Lena is also like really cool. You don't want to take up her time. She runs Hillman Grad. She's like, she's like Michelle and Barack Obama in one person. So I was just like, oh fuck. Uh, so anyway, it's this song, and it's like it's really easy. You can fuck it up. It doesn't even matter. And um, I was like, we have cue cards, and then like Marlon, my guy, would be coming, and I'm like, see, Marlon, he's got like the cue cards and whatever, and we've got a we've got an earwig and we've got a click track, and she said, I don't want any of that. I don't want the cue cards. I don't want Marlon. I don't want the earwig. I just want you to say it to me, and then I'll do it. Let's go. And I was like, oh fuck. And so we go outside and it was always a matter of where do I want to put the people? So I put Lena on the golf cart, you know, so you remember where they were in the scene. And so it was just me, me doing callbacks with her and her whistling. So that was one thing. Um, you know, the, the girl who played young Sam, she was just like a Broadway, she was like always. It was like perfect, you know. The guy who played Jay, I mean, he had such an incredible singing voice, and he's doing all this shit with that like sequin shirt. Um, you know, uh, a lot of people were like ready. Ron Cephas Jones like put some funk into it. And he's sitting on the porch, and he and Dominic Burgess like he he does his key change. And it was just everybody had a different thing. The first person to do it was Pamela, who plays Gloria, Phil's bridge lady, who's the only surviving bridge player. And, um, yeah, it was, you know, I just started leaning into being cheeky and asking everybody. But then I get so greedy because I look back at the season and it kills me that I didn't get the crying man on the steps. You know what I mean? And sometimes we would straight up run out of time and we would have to pull the plug. But uh, we would try to get people the song, you know, Marty, Croft, you know, just like calling out to him. And he's like, he's standing there with the flowers and he's like, he's like, I love you for sure. And I, I would I would call out like something that I wanted everybody to say. And that was I love you. I wanted to leave everybody in the who who was watching the show who was with us from the beginning or who found us late. And I wanted everybody to say, I love you, because Annie Eifrig and I, my editor and I, we die every time when it gets to that point, and then it's the whole village at that table, and they look up at the balcony and they blow a kiss and they say, I love you oh i I don't know why that that moves you so much, but it's just you know, seeing Max in England just being, you know, where she is, and Phil and the delicious Clive Russell at the pub. oh, God, man, I knew that i it was really about the village and the send off from the village, like, In my writer's room this season, we wanted to have something for every character. We wanted to see Greg Cromer. We wanted to see Judy Gold, Rebecca Metz, um, uh, you know, Alicia Reiner, something for all of them.
2: No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. When did you decide that the village was where you wanted to end it, rather than the family? Because obviously, there have been finales that have been about the women all being together on the beach or the the graduation dance scene, etc. But rather than going with that as your ending point, you wanted to bring in as many people from the tapestry as you could.
1: Well, because it is the family, so the family has always. There's there's little points that um, people don't even realize they 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 really see um, what they what they want to see or what they're expecting to see. So in season one, in the Only Women Bleed episode, um, which is the finale, it's not just the family in the car and also Phil's not in the car. It's all it's Sam and the girls and Harvey. The guy that fucked Max over, go back and look at episode the final episode of season one. Harvey, the guy that made Max so upset that she didn't want to go out on Halloween, he's in the back of the car. So it's you get all of the family in the finale, but you get all the village as well. And that was that was a big part of it. And it's um, it's it's a huge gift for people to realize that if you can't get what you need from your family and if your family isn't accepting of you, um you 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 take your chosen family your chosen family, that's the most important relationship of your life because there's a respect there that is not built in to a family. Um, you know, blood in, blood out friends for life you know you you yeah i mean family is forever but um fr- friendships you you really work and you really there's there's a certain level of respect and acceptance there that that you don't get with your blood family
2: but at the same time so much of the final season is built around the things that Sam and Marion learn from the DNA test which of course mirrored your own experiences doing finding your roots with skip gates when did you realize that that was an experience from your real life that you could take from your notes and build a season of television around
1: so now i feel like i i want to retract everything i said because family is everything <laughs> <laughs> perfect <laughs> this is the oreo cookie of pamela Samla. You know, it's just got the cream and then the two layer, the whole, I mean, the family shit, like, so I told you guys that my, my uncle Len and Auntie Joan, they passed away. And so it hit my mom profoundly. Uncle Len died January, 2021. And, um, it was r- really, really intense. And, you know, my, my dad I passed away very early, young, and my parents were married 30 years. It did not hit my mother the way when she lost her brother. You know, that. so that is a profound thing. Finding out about our roots, like doing this, this finding your roots with Skip Gates was incredible for me because, as he said in the show, it took over five years to crack my DNA code. And I, you know, thought we were from Russia and then my brother said Poland and then Skip said Ukraine. And I was like, what? Like, we didn't even know from Ukraine. And then all of a sudden, Ukraine, you know, I mean, it this this whole thing was was like there were so many portals in the show this season. And. um, I knew that. Uh, I went into the room and I told them about my experience uh, finding this out. And Phil is doing this examination. And I thought, you know, the things I really wanted in episode one was Phil dehoarding, shocking, because it's the opposite of where we started. Beanie boy breaking, Max doing a pregnancy test, or what is she doing? We don't really know. She's sitting there on the toilet with a stick there's boxes in the background her roommate is packing like there's all these things that you got to look for you know and so it it just perfectly blended in with the journey that they were going to take which led us eventually to England and um finding out about your roots and how that makes you feel and You know, when I told my kids, um, I remember that they were like, uh, they were changed and they were like, this makes me feel different. And there's a certain respect that you have for where you came from. It really changes you learning your origins. And, you know, I have a lot of adopted friends and Sally Sue Lander, who's one of my first ADs is adopted and she's always like comes over and she's like sorry adopted I just want to be involved over here you know because that's part of the landscape of who she is but you still have people when you're adopted you know you still have people if you come from a test tube or you you know however you were built uh it it's 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 very um humbling to to find out where you came from
2: did you try to get Meryl Streep for the final season? I mean,
1: I don't even know. Like, I don't even know how to, like, st- Like, do I call my agent and say, can you guys hook me up with Meryl Streep and shit? Because we're cousins, if you didn't know. Like... I wouldn't even know where to begin.
2: For For those who don't know, that was the that was the twist of uh, Pamela's uh, Finding Your Roots episode was that she is DNA cousins with Meryl Streep. Um. Yeah,
1: that wasn't only the twist. It's just that there were secrets on both sides of my family. And my episode was called Things We Don't Discuss. <laughs> Why?
2: But continuing with that, we've talked multiple times over the years about how the show gives this impression of being so very autobiographical, but you've never wanted to put it out there as being autobiographical. But when you bring something that was such a personal experience for you into the final season, does everything around it inherently become more personal and more inwardly pulled?
1: It's things that resonate So that definitely is autobiographical. And it was just wonderful kind of uh, like an inside baseball way. My brain works when I get information and how I can implement it into the show. Um, It's it's something that I've had to battle um, saying it's so autobiographical because that doesn't give you the freedom to live your life and say, um, uh, you know, oh, wow, I'm going to do this thing. But everybody thinks that, you know, I did it in real life because it's in the show. So, um, it's just one of those things also that happened because I was doing a show that was my story. And, you know, I have, three daughters, the English mom next door. And then people, you know, my kids started growing up and then it became kind of a a sore spot, you know? And I didn't, I never wanted my kids to, to think that I was co-opting their lives. And uh, I wanted them to be really proud of the stories we were telling and that they were a part of it. And if you guys remember season one, at the top and tail of the season, I, I hand wrote dedicated to my daughters and, um, it was making the show was a big sacrifice in terms of learning curve and spending time away when I was in production and, um, being a single mom, it, you know, being a parent is a sacrifice in and of itself, whether you have a partner or not, but, but, being a single mom to three girls w- was a, uh, a profoundly changed my life. And I'm still learning things to this day. And my kids are grown. Um, my own, one of my dearest friends said to me, not three years ago, I was talking about my daughters. She said, you don't have a sister. Cause I was like, I don't understand how these people work. But, but, and she just went, you shouldn't, you don't have a sister. You don't know from this. And so that was like a revelation to me. And I was like two seasons into my show already. So it's, you know, I, I like to, I don't want to sound like an asshole, but I do feel that my show is kind of like a lifestyle tool for people in a way. Like I want people to look at it and they, I want them to say, cause I've, I've always said that my, my show is like a delicious chocolate milkshake with lots of spinach and kale and, and biotin and, and, uh, you know, good calcium for your bones, like nutrition, For your heart and your brain, like you're getting this stuff in and it's, it's entertaining, but you're, you're learning tricks of ways to live and ways to be a person. I'm hoping, um, way, you know, ways to treat people. You, You know, one of the notes I got from my network for the first two seasons, I stopped getting because they said, we're not giving you this note anymore. We know how you you make your show and you know, it's the way that um, Sam engages with strangers and outside people. And these conversations uh, are something that was, uh, you know, very profound to me, not story driven per se, unless you really pay attention. And then you see these little vignettes moments Um Those those are, you know, that's what's been the greatest joy is is cooking when I'm cooking in the show, showing people that, yeah, this lady has three kids. She's got her kooky mom next door. She's finding time to cook and make food. It's simple and it's less wasteful. It tastes better. It makes your house smell good it changes everything or cooking for other people or me ripping the the art off my walls and throwing it on the walls of the set. Like saying, you know, if you don't like the way your room looks or a fixture, it might not be so hard to kind of change your environment. Um, You didn't ask me about that. I don't know what, what we were on. I was terrible. I was one hundred percent going to
2: ask you about that. So it's once again, it's just anticipating because as you say, there are the pre there are the preoccupations that Sam has on the show, and whether it's as you say, cooking or her art collection, or even I would say, I feel like the use of Yiddish by the final season is is so much more than in the very beginning. I, I'm curious as to how those interests that are very much Obviously, deeply yours. How they evolved along with Sam's interest in those things.
1: What Yiddish, Daniel? <laughs> how do you remember? I would like to hear some of it.
2: So much spilkas all season long with the spilkas so is all I'm saying.
1: <laughs> packing spilkas. I think it's going to catch on. Do you guys I, relate to the packing? Very much
0: relate to the packing oh. spilkas. Heaven knows, yes. <laughs>
1: I mean, it's, I think Yiddish, god damn it, that's a good language. Yiddish, this is what I think about Yiddish. It sounds like exactly what it is. So the word schmutz, which Judy Gold uses schmutz in the England episode when she's talking about Chewy, she goes, I found a little schmutz on Chewy's stomach and I picked it off schmutz. What does it sound like? Dirt, like schmutz. Ooh, I got some schmutz on me. That's what it is. spilkes Oh, my stomach. I've got spilkes anxiety. That's what it is. Yiddish is genius. Um, I took a Yiddish class with two of my friends, Stephanie and Robin a couple of years ago at the, um, it sounds like something communist in LA, the workman's circle. And my Yiddish coach, his name was Jacob, and he survived, like, five camps. This guy was made of iron, cast iron. And he's sitting in this, like, place with, like, mold and water stains everywhere. And 95 years old, he he passed away. God bless his—God rest his soul. He was incredible. But, you know, these people have this—oh, koyach. The English cousin says Koyach. You know, it's just, I don't know, man. I love that. You see all like, there's a lot of Jewish stuff in season, in episode nine as well. You know, Phil finds this fricking music box and everything. You see both sides, you know, both sides of Sam's family really, uh, Come together. That's not what you asked me. Okay, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: completely what I asked you, and we talked yeah. a lot about Yiddish, which was really all I wanted was you speaking as much Yiddish as possible
0: on the podcast.
2: So I, total success. <laughs> I remember
0: one it. one word of Yiddish from my childhood from my grandparents on my dad's side, which that's a whole other story. But and they always would say "miken brechen," and I was just like, "What does that mean?" And it means I could throw up. That's the only Yiddish that I remember. Uh, Say it again. Mieken Brechen. And I'm probably sure, I am sure I'm probably saying that wrong. So, but yeah. I I used to
1: know a whole Yiddish song. My grandparents sang it to me.
0: (laughs) Was it Yasala? I I feel like
2: if Oh, do it, (laughs) I I was going to let you do it because I'm sure you would do it better, but you know, (laughs)
1: let's go a five, six,
0: seven, eight. Come on, Danny, baby. I have tried. tried for so long to get Dan to sing anything on this show.
1: Daniel Feinberg <laughs> Come to the front office right fucking now. And Do the tra- it with me.
2: And the trauma sets in.
1: <laughs> Here we go. What what is the word you said? Fasala? Yasala. It's it's from it's
2: it's one of the things that's in jazz singer because of course he's he's the son of cantors and so and I'm don't told- yes. And I don't know that I can remember it well enough just to actually piece. do it justice.
1: Little ah. piece, and I'll do something. Let's go. Quid Come cro- on, Dan. Cro- challenge, cro- challenge
0: extended. I'm, Quid I'm just, cro-
1: just going to curl up in the corner
2: and be in sh- ashamed by my inability to sing in Yiddish. So, you know.
1: <laughs> just do it in a non singing way. Rex Harrison it. Come on, let's go.
2: <laughs> I was thinking more rubber pressed if I'm going to uh, be sing talking. There you go. Um, <sighs> Leslie, you've got the next question here.
0: <laughs> no, I'm it's not, not we're fair. not. You have to
1: sing, man. Yasala, here. Hey, if, on, we're here. All, if
2: all we're doing is Fiddler, Fiddler, I can sing along with anything you want to what, sing. For I want to know
1: Yasala. I'll do one. If I do a little of one, will you do a little Yasala? I'll sing it with you if you start. <laughs>
2: This podcast has gone so off the rails. Where are you? Where, what are you going to start singing?
1: I was going to sing Pachi Pachi Zadie's Machen Bobby's Machin A Boy's in Kitchen and a
2: I don't know that one. I mean, obviously, I know the tune because, you know, the tune's pretty yeah, obvious. My
1: grandmother used to sing that to me. Huh, what? I feel like my at
2: least one of my boobies must have sung to me in Yiddish, but I just...
1: Ah. I think it means, you know, you... Pachi, pachi, kechel. Like, they give you a little pachi <laughs> on your kechela. You give you a little... Uh, I don't know. A in kishin in the bechela. I mean, that's the best thing ever.
2: That's one where you can definitely as- try to assume phonetically what it says, and I'm not sure if that necessarily is what it means, but... <laughs>
1: Oh my god! I'm gonna watch the jazz singer tonight. Oh, it's so good, so problematic, so... Nah. Well, wait, are
2: we ta- are we talking original Al Jolson, or are we talking no, the one where? No, Neil oh, Diamond. We're, we're, cause if are you, you have crazy?
1: Not,
2: of course. Are you
1: fucking if, crazy?
2: <laughs> if the listeners have not heard Neil Diamond sing Kol Nidre, it is a life changing experience.
1: It's unbelievable. <laughs>
2: it changes your entire perspective on Judaism, and of course. Oh. Lawrence Olivier, Lawrence Olivier as a rabbi is really what. Oh it's, my
1: God! And Lucy, <laughs> Lucy Arnaz, we it forget. Is, but don't watch the scene when he's singing in the club.
2: <laughs> it is such a strange mixture of very authentic and the least authentic thing in the entire world. It is yeah. about, It is rather glorious. So yes, listen yeah. to the Neil Diamond jazz singer. Watch the Neil Diamond jazz singer. It also has "Love on the Rocks." And America, it's got all your favorite Neil Diamond songs. Yeah, in it.
0: it's really good. <laughs> I did have to sing America in the sixth grade, and our culmination. Yeah, we had to sing Coming to America. Oh, yeah. That was, was 1986. So good. I so think was that was
1: the soundtrack of me and my first gay boyfriend. <laughs> I mean, it was my first boyfriend who was gay, and he's now my best friend, Anthony Barilli. But Anthony and I would listen to Neil Diamond. Oh my god, we would go into Times Square. We went This is how far back we go. In Times Square, we went to see flash dance and you could smoke cigarettes and joints in the theater. <laughs> Was but that a better time in, or a
2: worse time is the question.
1: I used to get my fake ID in Times Square. I would I would pass right by the Black Jews of Harlem. I would go in and get My fake IDs from different states.
0: No problem. Well, I love the strip down memory lane. And it's also there was a a small arc in the final season about baseball cards, which for me, that's, you know, I started collecting when I was 12. And I'm just curious, you know, because obviously we're talking about things from our childhood here. But where did that baseball card storyline come from? Did, Did you collect as a kid? Because I was like spotting the cards. I'm like that Hank Aaron was a 1970 tops that that Sam wrote her name on. I saw an Aussie Smith 1979 tops rookie. I saw a 1985 tops Tony Gwynn. Like oh my
1: god! Yeah. Wait, Leslie, we have to get together because I have my whole collection still. So I love that. I
0: love that. That's like really hardcore. Um, yeah, I mean, I grew up working in a baseball card shop, so and I still you collect today. Did? I did and it- I do. Yeah
1: that's so incredible. And so when Marion talks about Harold and he goes, and he told me never get rid of your baseball cards. And Frankie gives her that. L-
0: yep. I literally you know, just sold I- a bunch of stuff from my garage like three years ago that I really wish I shouldn't, that I didn't have that I shouldn't have. Did you make money? I mean, I got like 300 bucks at a garage sale for it, but now knowing what the, what's happened with the industry, it's probably, there was probably about $10,000 worth of stuff there.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Leslie. I know. Never sell your baseball cards unless they're to me.
1: Jesus.
0: And it's like. So, so, so is that personal for, for you? What,
1: to what end? Like you got a shoe box of extra space, which is now full again.
0: No, I mean, it was more like, you know, six or 12 oh, giant oh. boxes of stuff from when I was a baseball. When I used to work baseball card shows as a kid.
1: Yeah. I mean, I it's one of those things that we, it was during the early into the lockdown. And we had, I had a whole bunch of people living in my house. I was cooking three meals a day. Um, I was so grateful that we had a backyard and that, you know, we could spread out. But, um, you know, at one point, one of my daughter's boyfriends had moved in his gaming system with these giant speakers sitting around her beautiful, delicate vanity. He's murdering people in the house. And I was just like, I don't like the murder. I don't, you know, but I was still like cooking for everybody and whatever. So I went into my office at my house and I looked at all of the stuff that was in there. And I was like, there's too much stuff. Those are my baseball cards. I'm going to take them out. And it was occupational therapy for me. I just pulled them out of the box and I laid it out just like I did in the show. And I became obsessed. And there was like about two weeks that I stood over my dining table, breaking them down, position, team, year, um, you know, like the rookie cards. And then like all of the like the year, the yearly cards where they had like the full team's. And then, you know, my heart sinking every time it said Pam Siegel, 1972 written in my handwriting. And I'm like, you idiot. And so just, you know, that, that kind of thing. But it was, now my daughters are texting. Mm. (laughs) I've looked everywhere. Mm. Don't know what they're looking for. Um, but it's just one of those things that was uh, they said they didn't know where to find it either. I'll just read you guys the text that are coming Perfect. through. Um, it was so satisfying and it was such good OT for me because I was really, really. Um, kind of going out of my mind, not yet writing the show. You know, it was not the time yet. It, we weren't staffed up or. So it was uh, very, very soothing for me.
0: That's also a big reason why I got back into it during the early part of the lockdown. So, yeah. Yeah. Very good we all took our stuff out. Yeah.
2: Mine are still in cardboard boxes in the garage somewhere so that is that is all I know and I'm sure they're worth billions so I don't want to go look because then it becomes you know I can believe that everything valuable is there as opposed to if I actually looked and discovered Hi, can it was you not. not
1: call me or text me right this second because I'm doing a zoom uh, and it's live and the phone keeps ringing I will call you as soon as I'm done with this thank you I feel like now Hello? you're get- <laughs> Oh, please have them wait. Thank you. Okay, that's literally they were they've been calling me because the glam team is here to get me ready for Trevor
0: Noah. <laughs> well, we should it's probably a good cue for us to kind of start wrapping things up here. I'm sorry. Well, we, don't hey, be. We're, don't we're, be. We this we don't want
2: to keep you away from Trevor Noah. I mean, we delightful. we can't compete. We know, we know what we we know our value, but we know we're not Trevor Noah. So, you know.
1: No, but you guys are my people. I mean, you guys... I will find out if Trevor Noah is my people tonight. If he knows the show then it's all candy. Well,
2: as as we're sort of going in the direction of the end, I want to mention that I rewatched the pilot before rewatching the finale ahead of this. And the first thing that obviously strikes anyone when you watch it is the the girls are so are, are so little. They're, 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 you know, you, you never could have known at that moment how they would have grown up and how much drama and storytelling you were going to be able to put on them. What do you remember about the difficulties of casting those three and what jumped out for you about the actresses you chose?
1: I, I wanted them to feel like family and, um, you know, I really wanted Frankie to live on the edge The Like to be like me, like when I was a kid and the word that we used when I was a kid was tomboy, androgynous. Like that's where I was. Like I always felt comfortable uh, in the masculine world. And that was really important to me to not be like like a put upon, you know, like there's a difference between. Me in something special and Joyce Heiser in just one of the boys. Like there's, you know what I mean?
0: Now you're speaking my language. Yeah. (laughs) There
1: you go. (laughs) Talking directly to you, Leslie, Yep. because that there, there was a line like Willie, Millie, the original name of something special. She wanted to be a boy. Really? You know, that was it she didn't want to, you know, I I don't know. It's just, anyway, no, no, no slam, no disrespect, just a whole different vibe. And, um, uh, so finding somebody who could play Frankie, keep her in that fluid space, uh, was really, really important because that's what all my kids are and that's where they all live and feel comfortable. Um, uh Mikey, just, she just looks like she came out of my vagina. She looks like my people. Like, she looks like all of... She's got the epicanthic fold that we all do. Like, she just looks like our people. And um, Olivia, she was just... I, I mean, it was like casting a 90-year-old man to play my 8-year-old daughter. This This wisdom. And... I had my real life daughters choose, uh, the, the kids who would play, you know, those girls. I don't like to say them, even though they say them, but, um, you, you, you get what you put into them. So it was just a lot of love and, and a lot of, um, a lot of time and trust a lot of trust.
0: Well, we do have to, t- to sadly wrap up this conversation, but you know, obviously congratulations on a brilliant run of better things, but uh, looking Thank ahead, you. you've got all these notes in your phone, all this real life experience stuff that you're, that you always enjoyed drawing from what's next. I had heard rumblings maybe a year ago that there was maybe a vampire show you were pitching or something like that. Really? Maybe that's bad info. I don't know. You tell me. I might be doing that. I don't know. Um,
1: Sounds good. I might want to do something like that. I have a bunch of stuff in development. I have animated shows. I have my, my own podcast now, but, uh, which uh, Better Things with Pamela Adlon. I'm doing companions to each episode, and then I'm continuing it afterwards. I'm, ho- you know... I, I've always wanted a talk show, so this is my way of doing it. I'm going to be the next Huell Hauser. That's what I want. I want to just—Huell is my goals right there. And, uh, you know, I have my job fairs that I'm continuing, which is I want to— uh, I've done these already, but it's expanding the jobs that are in the industry, and showing people what they are. So it's like people are so, they just think, I want to be a director, I want to be a star, I want to be a writer. Uh, They don't realize all the other jobs. Like, you know, in post, uh, on the crew, the camera people, the focus pullers, the grips, the gaffers, and showing young people, particularly people of color and women, what these jobs are and filling these jobs with those people, at least training people and matching people to jobs that exist. So they get the education. That's a huge thing for me. I'm directing a movie in the fall. I'm not allowed to talk about what it is. It might be July. It's moving up. Um, I wrote a screenplay based on my friend's memoir called abbreviated life with her before I started writer's room of better things. Um, you know, so hopefully something will stick after this. I'm not going to write a cookbook. Everybody's like, Hey man, when are you going to do a cookbook? There's so many fucking cookbooks. I don't need to do a cookbook. Uh, I just want to keep working, you know, like you guys. And I want to develop other people to, um, do shows like the way that we do the way we like to see, and hopefully, um, you know, choose uh, quality over content.
0: I I love that. Pamela, thank you so much for being so generous with your time, and congratulations once again on a brilliant run. You guys are the best.
2: The entire series of Better Things is available to stream on Hulu.
0: New episodes of TV's Top 5 air weekly on all of your podcast platforms and feature a Critics Corner guide to what to watch that week, showrunner interviews, and more news and analysis. Thanks for listening to TV's Top 5.
1: It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria
0: Cash.